Hello, and welcome to Something Wicked This Way Strums, the dark anthology of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy from the wicked mind of Michelle Roger. I'm Gabe Roger, your host this day. Today's podcast is Addicted to Love. It just goes to show you that sometimes even death cannot defeat true love. But true love, like all things, comes with a price. Are you ready to pay the piper? These aren't my stories. I'm just the person cursed for eternity to write them down and tell them to the world. In my former life, I was a harpist. I played music that was lovely. A little over a year ago, I bought a strange antique harp in a second-hand shop. The awkward old man at the counter told me that it was once owned by a bard who had sold his soul for success. Everyone who played it ran out of the store. I didn't choose that harp, but that harp chose me. I couldn't help but to bring it home. That night, I played, and my mind was filled with stories from the other side, from places unseen, from the damned. I'm Michelle Roger, and the story I'm about to tell you is one strung, note by note, and composed in the night. Addicted to Love by Michelle Roger. For the record, I just want you to know that I'm not coming back to any more sessions, Miranda declared, hoping not to sound rehearsed as she stared at her shoes. I mean, you're supposed to be a grief counselor. How about, oh, I don't know, counseling me? All I ever do is talk and you say nothing. She stopped. Miranda could feel a weeping episode coming on. She reminded herself that she wasn't going to do that again. This was her chance to stand up for herself, damn it. Don't fall apart now, she told herself. She rubbed the insides of her palms and looked up at the doctor again. All you ever do is take notes until it's time to say the session is over. She waited. Dr. Savoy assumed her usual position. She was a beautiful, mid-forties woman, impeccably dressed in a silk scarf and linen suit with her hair in neat, controlled spindle curls. Her makeup gave the air of being a model, and her jewelry declared that all of her patients were obviously paying way too much. How are the anti-anxiety pills I prescribed helping you? She said coldly. Miranda was still keeping her fragile levy of tears at bay. She took a deep breath, meanwhile fumbling with the tattered sleeve of her oversized cardigan sweater. I can't take them during the day. I fall asleep at my desk. My boss thinks I'm on illegal drugs or something because my eyes are red from crying one day and I'm asleep at my desk the next. I finally started just taking them at night, but somehow that's a lot worse. Worse? Dr. Savoy seemed surprised. She actually looked up from her notes. How can it be worse than your insomnia? She challenged. Well, the pills trap me in my sleep. I can't wake up. I'm left caged in my nightmares. The levee was breaking. Tears rolled down her cheeks. Then I spend the entire night having the same dream over and over again. She looked up sheepishly as she wiped her tears. You, you know the one. Remind me, hissed the doctor. The one where I can still hear him screaming, but I can't find him until it's too late, Miranda sobbed. Her hand shook as she grabbed tissues out of her ramshackle of a purse. 
She blew her nose and tucked the soggy tissue into her sleeve. Dr. Savoy sighed. She tapped her perfect French manicured nails on her desk pad, as if deep in thought. Taking up her designer floral pen, she reached for her pad of paper and jotted down a few words. She tore it off and handed it out to Miranda. This is a referral to a colleague of mine. He's a specialist conducting research on new drug therapy. No more drugs, whispered Miranda through tears. This is especially for people with your mm, particular condition, informed the doctor. My conditioned, she laughed. It was funny to think that this particular misery had a clear definition. Yes. Miranda, you have been coming to grief counseling for two years now. In that time, you have remained stagnant, showing no progress towards regaining your former clarity of mind. This is not due to lack of counsel, drug therapy, or time, for that matter. It appears that you have the inability to heal after the sudden death of your husband. She paused to lean in closer across the desk, directly addressing Miranda. Dr. Mordred has developed a drug therapy that is specific to each individual. Don't wait. Get an appointment with him today. Dr. Savoy sat back in her leather wing-back chair and crossed her fingers on her desk. Miranda took the cue that she was being dismissed. She got up and headed for the door, dropping crumpled and tear-soaked tissues behind her. Miranda, called the doctor, be sure to see my receptionist on the way out. I want to make sure your insurance information is still up to date. Close the door on your way out. Miranda stared incredulously at the doctor. There was no concern or remorse for her lack of assistance in helping Miranda with her loss. The doctor just saw Miranda as another patient, pathetic, who lacked the ability to respond to proper treatment. She was disgusted. She wondered to herself as she closed the office door how someone who advertised being in the business of helping people could justify charging so much money in exchange. The receptionist looked up at Miranda, made her way out of the office hallway and into the waiting room. Do we have all your current information, dear? Let me check before you go. Oh, no need, smiled Miranda. Doc gave me a referral and said this one was on her. She quickly made her way out of the glass double doors and out into the rain. Flix was the world's greatest cat. He was part alarm clock, part food critic, part muse, and more recently, part surrogate therapist when Dr. Savoy failed to do her job. Meowing, he placed his tiny pink nose against Miranda's cheek as his whiskers uncomfortably found their way up Miranda's left nostril. She snorted and choked herself awake. She sat up with a start. The sun was already draping the living room and the couch in sunlight. Holy crap, Flix, what time is it? <coughs> said Flix with his head cocked to one side. He put one paw on Miranda's watch. Ten, she screamed as she started to run for the bathroom. I'm late for work, Flix. You know I can't be late again. Miranda ran out of the living room and across the kitchen floor in her wool socks to make coffee. Flix meowed loudly, but she ignored his protests. Finally, he jumped on the coffee table and pressed the giant red on button on the remote. A CNN weatherman came through the HD speakers. It's going to be a glorious Saturday up there in the Midwest. The eastern seaboard may have a slight drizzle sometime near evening. The weather report continued, but Flix was staring intently at Miranda. 
She had already run back into the bathroom, but he could hear her dropping things as she abruptly stopped to listen. She returned and stared at the TV, and then back at Flick's. Swatter day? She mumbled. Flix wondered if all humans looked this ridiculous in the morning, or if his human was special. Miranda stood there with a toothbrush crammed in her mouth, her left hand holding a coffee cup, and her nightshirt and socks oversized and hanging off her thin frame. She ran back to the bathroom, and when she returned, she was sans coffee and toothpaste. She scooped Flick up in her arms, and the two landed once again on the couch-turned-bed. Flix wrinkles his nose and squinted at Miranda. Well, you're the one who woke me up like it was a Monday. Don't complain about my minty, fresh breath, if you're going to play tricks on me like that. <coughs> said Flix. Breakfast? You mean you're f out of food already? <coughs> Miranda went to the kitchen and seconds later returned with a spoon, a container, and a plate. She stirred fruit up from the bottom to the top on her yogurt until the container had gone from snowy white to deep red. Then she poured half of the yogurt onto the plate for Flix, keeping half for herself in the container. When they were finished, Flix hopped off the table and onto the bookcase, where he started to give himself his morning bath. He swayed in a moment of imbalance on the shelf, and a picture frame went sailing off onto the floor. Miranda reached over the arm of the couch and picked it up, turning pale as she stared into the smiling face of her husband frozen in the metal frame. Flix had learned to scramble to the top of the bookshelves when it came for her. Every time it returned, she seemed the weaker for it afterwards. The ominous shadow crept across the wooden floor in long, narrow streaks. Inching its way in calculating increments, the shadow balled itself into the corner in a crouched position. Miranda stood, grief-struck and vulnerable as she stared at his wide grin. The shadow sprang with amazing precision and knocked Miranda to the floor, consuming every breath, every movement as she fought against the paralyzing memory. But it was no use. Her body twitched less and less, and soon Flix knew his mistress was at the mercy of the monster. She was trapped in the house again. Once the door had shut in her memory, she knew she was doomed to play the scene to the end all over again. Her physical body ached to be released from the memory's painful grip. Her mind knew the only antidote that would bring relief. She made her memory move forward. It'll all be over soon. Just play it through and then you can sleep it off, she told herself. Miranda's dream self heard the screaming first. She covered her ears as she walked through the dining room, around the corner, and stopped at the threshold of the kitchen. She knew what was coming next. The smell hit her first, making her body physically react. It was the sweet, sour smell of copper and metal intertwined with a hint of rust and salt. Her heart hammered wildly in her chest. Her skin crawled. The hair on the back of her neck stood on end. All of these sensations were accompanied by an intense, searing pain. It grew worse, and the longer she stood in the doorway. In a last-ditch effort, Miranda tried to make herself wake from the daytime nightmare. She tried to throw off the demon that seized her senses and made her remember. He tightened his grip over her. Her dream self whimpered, but she took the necessary steps. She stopped at the pool of blood near his feet and shut her eyes tight. Okay, I'm here. Now let me go, said her dream self. Look, 
hissed the monster in her head. I've already seen it. I don't want to look, Miranda struggled to say. White hot pain plunged her vision into blinding light. Her ears rang. Miranda's physical self screamed as she cradled her head in her hands. Look, the monster whispered again, releasing her from some of her agony. And this time, Miranda complied. There, sitting blankly at the ceiling, was Alec. He was bleeding from a gunshot wound to the neck. The rifle sat a few feet from his left hand. Miranda's memory played out as it always did from this point. She screamed and fell to her knees. She dialed 911 with her cell phone, and then she tried to give him CPR. With every compression, Alec bled faster. She grabbed tea towels from the cupboard drawer to apply pressure to the wounds, but she could not hold in his blood and keep his heart going all at once. Rescue workers bounded in slow motion, and police wrapped her in shock blankets. Miranda breathed a sigh as her dream self knew the nightmare was almost over. Almost. The final scene opened with the wailing of bagpipes. The last part of the memory was always so green in the beginning. Miranda was surprised even though this memory had tortured her for months on end. The piper played, the handful of attendants stood up and shared their favorite memories, and finally it was just Miranda left standing at the gravesite. She looked down at the pre-dug, mechanically precise abyss of earth and cement prepared for Alec's coffin. While the others watched her from their cars, she found she just couldn't leave. An overwhelming urge to jump in at the same peaceful place with Alec seemed all the more enticing with each passing second. Somehow, Alan, her friend from work, met her glance from his Dodge Charger and knew what she was thinking. The final part of the memory had finally arrived. She punched the latch of the glorified winch, which whined in protest. It had rained that morning, making the metal cable rusty on the outside. Alan ran in slow motion from his car towards her, but she was already too deep into the blackness, standing atop the plunging casket, down, deeper and deeper until... Miranda came too. She was covered in sweat with trickles of foam at the corners of her mouth. Flicks had curled up near her stomach, waiting for the whole thing to be over. Oh, Flicks, Miranda sobbed. It's never going to leave me alone, <coughs> said Flicks. Oh, I don't think any of them can help me. I've been to three doctors already. <coughs> you want me to be someone's science project? I mean... That's what experimental treatment means, you know. You have me there. Well, I suppose what could be worse than living like this? Somehow I doubt any treatment can make it go away, Flicks, Miranda said helplessly. Flicks jumped up on the coffee table as Miranda climbed back under the covers on the couch. I agree. The bed upstairs is a lot more comfortable, but there are just too many memories. Last time I went up there, I swore I could still smell his cologne. Everything smells like him up there. His shirt, his towel, the bed. She would have been gun crying if exhaustion hadn't started to take over. His pillow, she finished. Flicks nudged Miranda's hand and she opened her eyes. 
He patted the phone near the edge of the table. Okay, okay, when I wake up, I'll call. But I want you to know, I'm just doing this for you. Personally, I think they're all full of shit. As Miranda filled out the ninth form of her packet, she was sure she could hear the buzzing of the fluorescent lights above her head. It was beginning to drive her crazy. She signed the last form, a waiver, and turned the clipboard into the receptionist behind the sliding glass doors. The woman looked at the forms and spoke through a speaker embedded in the glass. The doctor will see you in a few minutes. Miranda smiled and sat back down in the waiting room. The artificial light made everything look fake. The man sitting next to her was so gray he looked blue, like he'd just been born and never taken a gulp of oxygen in his life. He held a pair of pink, plastic reading glasses with a silver beaded chain. Miranda was admiring the beating when the old man looked up at her. These were my wife's, he said sadly. Oh, I'm sorry, she whispered. A younger woman ran into the office and rushed to the front desk, knocking on the glass to get the receptionist's attention. A nurse came to the glass, looking annoyed. Alice Foster, said the woman, I have an appointment at noon, but I wondered if I could get my treatment early today. The woman was a bundle of nervous energy. As she talked to the nurse, she rocked back and forth on her feet. Her hands shook as she tried to keep them calm behind her back. I'm sorry, the nurse said curtly. The times of treatment are specifically scheduled to meet the needs of each individual. You'll have to come back in a few hours. But I interrupted the woman, but the nurse sounded a buzzer and two orderlies escorted the woman out of the room. Miranda exchanged a nervous glance with the old man, but neither said anything. The same nurse appeared around the corner a few minutes later and called Miranda back. The treatment room was simple and obviously still under construction. A gray recliner-style chair with padded arms, a counter, a sink, and a wheeled footstool sat comfortably on the small room with no windows. The nurse invited Miranda to sit in the recliner. Now, just let me run through a few questions, said the nurse, looking down at the clipboard. Your husband committed suicide two years ago, right? He was murdered, spat Miranda firmly. The nurse looked up at her skeptically. Dr. Savoy stated in her referral, it's an open case, Miranda interrupted, an unsolved mystery. The pathologist couldn't rule either way according to the angle of the gunshot. Okay, said the nurse blankly. I'll change that in your file. And your husband's body was brought here to St. Andrew's Hospital where he was declared dead. Is that correct? Miranda shook a little with a chill as she nodded in agreement. I'll just make note that I've confirmed that the body of the deceased was brought here. His full name? The nurse wrote again on the file. Alec Michael Stevens. Okay, I'll show this to the doctor and be in with your injection in a few minutes. The nurse turned and left quickly and Miranda sat puzzled. No exam, no group therapy, just a referral and a shot? Just as predicted, the nurse returned in a few minutes with a small tray and another form. Now just sign here that you agree to return for further treatment even if your insurance doesn't cover the cost. Miranda signed. 
She had a little money left over from her savings, and she had no expectations that this would work. She had made up her mind to humor Flicks to come here, and then work to get her head on straight without any meds at all afterwards. The nurse rubbed the alcohol swab over Miranda's upper arm and administered the injection. The serum is quite thick, so you may have a sore muscle by tomorrow, but it's nothing to worry about. Miranda monitored herself all the way home. Nope. No change, she noted as she put the key in the door and threw her bag on the chair. Flix, I'm home. It's about time you got here, bounded a cheerful voice. His arms wrapped around the small of her back before she could say a word. His lips were on hers as she looked up at him in shock. His kiss was so warm her knees buckled. He caught her with one arm and pulled her tighter into his embrace. Breaking from his mouth, she pushed him back in disbelief. Holding him at arm's length, she stared at his impossible face. He smiled back at her, beaming with happiness. Flex! She screamed as she ran away from the stranger who looked, my God, and kissed like her husband. Flix was sleeping on the top of the woolen blanket on the couch. She picked him up as she ran back to the front door. Flix, can you see him? Miranda sat the cat on the floor. The cat yawned as he made his way to the man in the doorway and rubbed against his legs. Miranda quietly gasped. Alec? She whispered as tears poured down her face. Are you for real? She pressed her fingers into his solid chest and his upper arms. She ran her fingers through his hair and cupped his face in her hands. He leaned in, and this time she didn't pull away. She kissed him as if he'd been away for a million years, and she never wanted him to leave again. Breathless, the two finally pulled apart. Did that feel real enough for you? asked Alec, his eyes taking in her heaving chest. But how? Miranda searched for a way to make any sense of it. I don't know, and I don't care. Alec scooped Miranda up into his arms and carried her upstairs to the bed. In the night, she confirmed that her husband was solid. He was no ghost as he kissed her neck and then found her lips again. I love you, he whispered. Miranda didn't let him say any more. They spent the night entwined in an embrace that should have been impossible. She woke the next afternoon. Flix was meowing and walking up and down the edge of the bed in a fit over his missing breakfast. Miranda stroked his fur backwards, giving him a poofy look. He jumped down from the bed, annoyed. Miranda shrugged happily and checked the clock. It read one in the afternoon. Alec, I think we've both worked up an appetite. How about I make chocolate chip pancakes? There was no reply. Miranda galloped down to the kitchen, happily tying her robe around her naked body. I hope you made coffee. Mine is shit, if you remember. But there was no answer. The kitchen was empty. She quickened her pace and looked in the shower. Still no Alec. She went from concern to frantic in a split second, and she called out for him. Alec! Alec! Flix, have you seen Alec? Flix was reconditioning his sculpted fur and headed to the den in search of a sunbeam. Miranda continued to talk out loud. Okay, maybe he went to get coffee. He probably took my cell phone. She went to the kitchen landline and dialed her cell. The cell rang in the back den and she cursed. 
She thought again, trying to figure where he might have gone after two years of being away. Frantically, she dialed another number. The monotone voice on the answering machine came over the earpiece. You have reached Kramer Consulting Services. Our office hours are from 8.30 a.m. until 6 p.m. Standard Time, Monday through Friday. If you would like to leave a message, please wait for the beep and we will contact you as soon as one of our engineers is available. Thanks and have a great day. There was a high-pitched beep and Miranda started talking faster and faster. Alec? Alec, it's Miranda. If you decided to go to work to see your old office, could you call me and let me know that you're there? Alec, Alec, I woke up and you were gone, and Flix is mad at me, and now I don't know when you're coming home. Alec, are you there? Pick up, damn it! There was a click as the message timed out. Miranda slammed the phone down and threw herself onto the couch. She tried to calm the manic whirling around in her mind. The pieces of the day didn't fit together. Nothing made sense since... She stopped. Rolling up her sleeve, she looked down at the gauze and tape on her forearm. Nothing made sense since she had taken the drug at the hospital. She rubbed her temples, trying to discern reality from fiction. Gathering her robe around her, she walked directly to the bathroom mirror and pulled the silk knot free. The kimono-style sleeves glided gently off her shoulders, taking the whole robe down with a billowing effect. Her skin was pink around her neck the tops of her shoulders, and her jawline. Surely she hadn't imagined him kissing her. She leaned over the sink to examine her lips, red and plump, from returning the thousand kisses she'd received. Surely she hadn't dreamt that up either. Finally, she pushed the door in an involuntary act of modesty and felt between her legs. There was no mistaking that she had spent the last hours of the night making love. But where could Alec be if he was actually alive? She thought about the hospital. It was the last place, technically, that he had been after the police had arrived. Running upstairs, she found a pair of her jeans and a sweater. Flicks me out at the end of the bed. Miranda carried him to the kitchen and opened a can of tuna. My apologies for the bad hair day. Yes, I've got to go out for a bit. A knock at the door interrupted them. Miranda ran to the threshold and threw open the door. Alec! It was only the FedEx delivery guy. Uh, sorry, I'm not Alec. I brought you this. He handed her an overnight envelope. If you'll just sign here, please. To the sender, the sender wants to know it's been received. Miranda scribbled her name onto the tiny handheld computer. Thanks. She noticed the return address was the hospital and pulled the zip cord. A letter attached to it floated out, flicks me out in curiosity. It says that my insurance doesn't cover the experimental treatment. What a shocker. I'll have to make a payment arrangement. <sighs> okay, flicks. I'll be back. Miranda jumped into the Mustang, hoping that if Alec were walking downtown, he might notice it and find her. It was a shot, anyway. She opted to parallel park by the road for optimum visibility instead of parking in the structure, which was closer to the hospital. Her long walk started at a good clip, but soon Miranda found her shoulders and back beginning to ache, the way they had in days past. She had almost forgotten how bad she felt until the pain hit her out of nowhere. She made it to the elevators and pushed the button for the third floor. As the button lit up, a searing pain started at the tip of her finger and traveled up her arm. She searched the elevator for any sign of the black shadow. 
but it was not to be found. The stainless steel door opened to the long corridor, and as she walked, the pain traveled from her spine down the backs of her calves. By the time she had reached the receptionist's desk, she was sweating and gripping the counter. She noticed she was rocking on the balls of her feet. Yes, she groaned. I was here yesterday for my first treatment, and I want to talk to someone about my bill. She stopped. The pain shot upward into her skull. She clenched her teeth, and her knees buckled as she collapsed to the floor. When she came to, she was sitting again in the same recliner chair as the day before, only this time the footstool was elevated to help her lay more flat. The nurse noticed her opened eyes and smiled. You gave us quite a scare. Never had anyone go down like that before. Doc says the treatment must really work for you. The nurse sat the familiar tray with the serum-filled syringe. As for your bill, do you have a credit card or will you be paying cash? Actually, I hadn't planned on another treatment. I only came down here to figure out my bill from yesterday. She gripped the chair. Another wave of pain rolled from the top of her head down to her toes. All I have of value on me is my car. That should cover four treatments, but let me clear it with the doctor, said the nurse frankly. What? You mean you actually take my car in trade? I can't sell you my car. The pain seared as she protested. The white-hot light was blinding her vision by this time. No memory came. With no memory, there was no end in sight from the pain. She screamed. The calm voice of the nurse spoke softly in her left ear. Just hand me the keys and the pain will stop. The treatment takes all of the pain away. Remember how good you felt yesterday? But my husband loved that car, Miranda struggled to say. The nurse sat idly by as Miranda writhed and twitched. When no memory came, she finally threw the keys at the nurse. She felt the needle plunge into her arm, and then every ounce of pain lifted immediately. Your treatments are slated for every 24 hours this week. Be here tomorrow at 5.15 sharp. The nurse left the room. Miranda took the bus home. It took nearly an hour longer than driving herself, and she made note for the following day's trek in. Flix was happily playing with a ball of dust and lint when she walked into the living room. She knew she should feel tired, but the injection had already kicked in. She felt like she could run a marathon. Hey, buddy. She patted Flix on the head, and he purred affectionately. From out of the bathroom came Alec, wearing a towel. His hair was wet and he was singing. He jumped back when Miranda stood up in disbelief. Where the fuck have you been? She demanded. What's wrong with you? He smiled. I went to get us some coffee and bagels around 1230. When I got back, the car was gone and so were you. Miranda stiffened a little. She wondered how she was going to break the news about the car to him. Flix and I were just thinking about getting some lo mein. Want to come? Uh, let's have them deliver dinner, Miranda hedged. I've been gone all day, and I just want to veg on the couch with you tonight. Cool. Alec ran up to get dressed while Miranda placed a delivery order. When the delivery guy arrived, Flick was in such a state that he nearly tore the guy's arm off, jumping and meowing for his wonton soup. 
The three curled up with wax paper box, but something made Miranda look over and watch Alex shovel heaping chopsticks full of noodles into his mouth. When he noticed she was staring, he blushed. I haven't had this stuff in two years and seventeen days, finished Miranda. There was some part of her that was angry and she didn't know why. What the hell is going on, Alec? You need to tell me. You owe me that much. Alec stopped eating and set down his box of noodles. Flicks took the opportunity to help himself. Rans, he always called her that when he had something difficult to say and he wanted her to be gentle with him. I'm not supposed to tell you. Soon it won't matter, I guess, but I'm not supposed to. Too bad. Tell me anyways. Do you know what I've been going through all this time? She started to cry. Do you have any idea what it was like to find you? To wonder how it really happened? I don't have enough time to explain everything, and even if I did, they wouldn't let me. Look, all I can tell you is this. That I have some idea of what you've been going through, in a vague kind of way. And I just want to say I'm sorry, Rans. You have no idea how sorry I am for not being here. What do you mean, soon it won't matter? And who's they? Jesus, Rans, can't you just let it go? Alex was starting to get angry. No, you can tell me and you will. Miranda had an abundance of energy and she was going to use it to get some answers. He could see that there was really no way out. She was in full-fledged rage mixed with tears and he couldn't stand to see her so hurt. He sighed in truce. Let me tell you what I know. Don't interrupt me till I'm finished, okay? Fine, promised Miranda. For the last two years and 17 days, I've been dead. You found me, you tried to save me, and then you buried me. You did not imagine any of that. It's all true. How I got here and who shot me, I have no memory. In the two years, I've sort of, well, haunted you. And in a way, you've haunted me. We can't seem to let each other go. It's like our connection can't be severed. The injections you're getting have some sort of genetic material mixed with a highly manipulated receptor drug. Somebody at the hospital kept my blood when it was drained for the embalming process. They kept every corpse's blood back then, kept it and cataloged it. Basically, they're helping you to see me, to feel me. Hear the me that's still already here. He paused to think. Kind of like boosting an already faint broadcast. So why did I get so sick at the hospital today? Alec rubbed his eyes for a moment as he looked exhausted. That's the trade-off, Rans. With each injection, you're losing your natural ability to stay with me. Your body wants more because the old connection just isn't as good as this one is. So, what happens when I get used to it? Alex shrugged. Or run out of money first, she bit her lip. I'm sorry, but I traded your car in exchange for four treatments. Well, what about my life insurance? Alec asked. Case was never closed. They wanted to rule it a suicide, and I refused to believe it. I'd never purposely leave you, Rans. You know that. I know now. So all this time you thought it was hard not to listen to the cops, even though I didn't let them close the case. I always wondered. 
So the way I see it, we have three to six more high-speed nights together before you're completely reliant on the drug. Don't think that way. I can resist it, said Miranda. I won't take any more. I'll keep my, my natural ability, or what's left of it, she vowed. It won't be that easy, Rands. I've seen how it affects other ghosts and their families. When you were gone today, I feared the worst and started asking around from my side of death. The drug used to kill on the first dose. Now they've perfected it to about eight doses. When they really fine-tune it, it could generate millions for hospitals and drug companies. Just think of all the grief-stricken people in the world, Rands. What would you say if a doctor could give you a drug to keep you in contact with loved ones, even though they've died? Who wouldn't give everything they own to talk to their child or their father or their husband, Miranda interrupted. I won't lose you, she said, wrapping her arms around him tightly. Not again. She kissed him hard and he returned her kiss, only far gentler. But before long, he carried her up to their bed. But Miranda's pain returned sooner than the day before. She wrapped the covers around herself and waited for it to end. By evening, Flix was hysterical and Miranda had passed out in exhaustion. That night she woke to find that she felt wonderful again. Alec was lying on his side, in bed next to her. Am I dead? she asked. No, but another night like that and you might be. I stole a dose from the hospital, but I think they're going to know. Somehow they have a camera that can see me. We have two doses left, and we have to think of some way out of this. While you were sleeping, I talked to a few of the ghosts wandering the halls. Both of their loved ones have, uh, shall we say, joined them. As soon as you stop taking the drug, Rands, your heart stops. The two spent the rest of the night making a list of valuables Miranda might offer in trade for payment. Alec had suggested she negotiate smaller doses more often. The house isn't paid for, so they might not go for that, he said. There's the silver your mom gave us for the wedding. My Uncle Charlie's signed copy of Nat King Cole's Unforgettable. What else? Flix purred happily in Miranda's lap. That buys me maybe two more treatments after tomorrow. Her hands started shaking and she fought to keep herself together. We're going to need to find a good home for Flix, she managed to say as her voice cracked. I'll take care of Flix, Alec reassured her. You think of more things to add to that list. There must be something. He looked down. What about our wedding rings? Miranda covered her left hand. Over my dead body? Well, that's kind of what they have in mind, Rands. Forget it, she insisted. Alec took the pad of paper and pencil and added it to the list anyways. In case of emergency. Yeah, Miranda laughed. Like this isn't already an emergency now. She rolled her eyes sarcastically. The sun was rising when Miranda got up to go to the bathroom. A loud thud soon followed and Alec found her gripping her chest. It's starting already. It's lasting less and less. Alec, fading in and out with each second that ticked with the clock, helped Miranda onto the bus that was headed downtown. She made it to the treatment center and knocked on the glass. I'm here for my treatment. She cringed as the pain consumed her. The nurse leaned into the speaker 
in the sliding glass doors. You have another nine hours and 14 minutes. Come back later, she smiled wickedly. But she couldn't move to leave. The pain had seized every joint in her body and frozen it stiff. All of her tendons had become too rigid to move and suffer heightened pain responses. The body was shutting down and Miranda felt her heart beat faster and more erratic. She pressed the speed dial in her phone. It was a number she had never used but had been programmed into her phone the day Alec had died. She replayed the memory in her head as her body slid to the waiting room floor. Call this number day or night if you have any information on the facts of this case, he had said. Briggs here, answered the deep voice. Captain Briggs, this is Miranda Stevens, she whispered. I have new information about my husband's case. Thanks to some health insurance issues. She threw her head back as her heart hammered in her chest. I just found some new evidence here at the hospital that proves his murder. Can you meet me in the new treatment wing, third floor? I'll be right there. Miranda cringed. Briggs, hurry. Reporter Robert Smith is outside of St. Andrew's Hospital where Sheriff Spurs is about to read a statement. Thank you all for coming to this press conference regarding the drug scandal here at St. Andrew's Hospital. I will not reveal any key evidence in this case. It is being sent to trial as we speak. But I can tell you this. Captain Briggs received a reliable tip that a Dr. Savoy and her staff were conducting experimental genetic drug treatments. Preliminary evidence suggests that she may have used grant money to murder and generate human test subjects. There is some evidence that she struck a deal with the cash-strapped hospital administration in exchange for patient co-pays. Counsel for St. Andrews says that administrators had no idea the doctor was using a synthetic form of methamphetamines to act as a catalyst for the injected genetic treatment. Twelve staff members, including Dr. Savoy, are charged with first- and second-degree murder after emergency services confirmed several 911 calls for help from eyewitnesses. In particular, Dr. Savoy's staff looked on as one patient went into cardiac arrest on their waiting room floor. It appears that this is one of several similar instances. How the collected genetic material from the previously deceased family members was obtained is unclear. Also, the use of the synthetic drug is also unclear. Our crime lab investigators are conducting tests at this time. This investigation team will follow every lead until it is clear how many deaths are connected. In light of these events, we feel St. Andrew's Hospital is a threat to public health and therefore is shut down immediately. All patients have been rerouted to nearby facilities. Thank you. That's right, said Miranda. Flicks, all three of us are together again. Well, that's it for this show. I hope you enjoyed the story. If you'd like to hear more of Michelle Rogers' work, please go to www.michellerogers.com. 
Oh, there's only one L on that, Michelle. Okay, till next time. <laughs>